This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Are you quite ready over there? Yeah. <laughs> I got you smiling. <laughs> This is kind of good. Yeah. And then you pretended to actually hear me while I was talking to you. I already had my headphones on and you were still making points. I can't hear you, Cam. <laughs> I can't hear you. But uh, hopefully you can hear us out there in Radio Land. Uh, my name is Cam Smith. Across from me, I have... I'm Matt Stebbin. How are you, Cam? You're looking well. Today. I'm better for seeing you, even though you don't listen to what I say. <laughs> We've had a great breakfast. You went to the Vic Market, obviously, to have a chat to John, and on uh, the way out, you grabbed uh, a couple of Borex. Yeah, from the, uh, the the upstarts, the new people at the Queen Victoria Market. I refer, of course, to the Turkish women. Right. Who've probably only been there for oh, 20 years now. <laughs> uh, God, what a great thing, though. Spinach and ricotta Borek? I think they do a mix. Feta. Oh, spinach and feta. Feta. They do a spice lamb on there, too. Which is be a bit spicy. Oh, really? Yeah, it's a bit meaty too. It's kind of nice to have something, but great pastry. Anyway, we are we are powered by borax today. <laughs> the Turkish uh, fast food is strong within us. Yes, and um, we've got a good show. It's um cultural show. Yes, good, great. We like we like culture. Mm. More culture than a penicillin factory today, ladies and gentlemen, um, because we've got two sensational women. Mm. Here today, um, we have uh, Janet Deneef, mm. who's in the green room now. Yes. And um, she's having a chat to our guest. Janet has uh, been living in Bali for about 30 years. Ooh. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, founder of the Ubud uh, Writers Festival and mm. uh, many other things, mm. food festivals. And she is bringing a little bit of Bali to Tolano. And I thought it'd be interesting to talk to her because... Let's face it, this is our closest, most populous neighbour, and for most of us we know little to nothing other than uh, how much a uh, tequila sunrise costs at Cuda Beach. <laughs> yes. You know, um, but, but first of all, what is Balinese cuisine? And yes. how does it relate to Indonesian cuisine? Yes. What is she bringing over here? Uh, and so anyway, we're going to talk about Indonesia, the mm. cuisine of, as interpreted by... An expat who's been living there for 30 years doing good cultural stuff. Mm. How's that sound? Sounds good. Sounds good. All right. Well, saving that till last, um, we are going to go to market very shortly and uh, have a chat to John mm-hmm. and then Linda Catalano. Yes. Um, who has been traversing the globe with her acts, uh, has come back into town which uh, we kind of think is a good thing. And mm-hmm. She's waiting in the green room, and she's going to be having a chat about a festival event that's mm-hmm. going to be taking place. I'm just pulling it up. Sorry about this. One Suitcase, Four Stories. Um, and it's a story of immigration, of um, the food of memory, comfort mm. food. And, and it gives us a chance in this time of year as as the thermostat gets turned down mm. um, in our climate, that we start thinking about warm fires. Yes. Well, this is what I do anyway. Mm. Uh, <laughs> red wine. Doesn't anybody – everybody <laughs> think like that, right? You know? Uh, drinking buckets of red wine in front of a fire with, um, I don't know, something brazing um, on the on the crock pot, on the stove, in the oven, and filling I'll, the house with great smells. And some kind of long-haired dog sitting by the fire. Long-haired dog and yeah. then stewed quinces or something like that. But anyway, it, it gives us a chance to, to maybe define and tease out what it is about humanity that we crave possibly the food that was cooked for us. Possibly. When we were... Yes, mm-hmm. So this is this is your oh, uh, this is your comfort food uh, thesis thesis yes I like oh, no, it. it's not really a thesis it's just really an idea yeah. one idea <laughs> just not a thesis mate in the, in the fog of all the other ideas that I have. but anyway it gives us a chance to um, to talk about that what say you Matt Stead yes no it sounds good really it sounds excellent okay well that sounds good crazy weather hasn't it been it's been um, the last couple of days. I, I sat at this microphone, I think, four weeks ago and said, Cam, I wonder if that's the last of the hot weather. And you said, no. No, man. No. <laughs> <laughs> I did the old dog trick. You yeah, certainly man. did. Just, just wait, mate. And you were right. Yes. And how crazy was the change this morning? A lot of wind. 
a lot of wind, not enough rain, of course, and no. um, and we should also mention make mention of the fact that calamitous events are happening to the west of us in regards to bushfires. That so, is true. Yes. Um, I don't know. Just hope everything's going to be as well as it can be. I mm, suppose. Yes. I won't say thoughts and prayers. No, that's a bit of an overworked phrase recently, isn't it? Yeah. To slightly lighter notes, we should say, obviously, thank you to the scientists for Einstein and Gogo. They're still in there. They're still chatting. Pontificating. Debating. Major things. Yes. Thank you to them, and thank you for everybody during the morning. Uh, today, what have we got? Food quote. Um, something to do a little bit with uh, comfort food. Actually, mm-hmm. I'm not sure whether it was comfort or as a, or as a hindrance or a hell. This is from James Baldwin, actor, 1924 to 1987. Mm-hmm. And he said, my mother fried corned beef she boiled it she baked it she put rice in it she disguised it in cornbread she boiled it in soup she wrapped it in cloth she beat it with a hammer she banged it against the wall she threw it onto the ceiling I don't know about this thing with corned beef that his <laughs> mum had. I don't know what he thinks about it. See, there's a food of yesteryear. I wonder if anyone's still eating corned beef. Yeah. You are? Your hand went up? It did, didn't it? just went up. At least sure. um, during winter. Yes. Twice, if I can manage it. I think I did it once last year. Uh-huh. It's all about what you put in with the, um, the, the beef when you, like, at, at its very worst, people can look at you and go, what, boiled meat? Yeah. And you go, no, it's more valid than that because orange peel is is the secret for me. Mm. Orange peel, cloves, Mm. a little bit of mustard powder, mustard seeds, brown sugar, Mm. a little bit of vinegar. Mm. That makes it nice. There you go. Makes the house so it's not like just smelling like boiled beef. (laughs) And then also it gives you a chance to see this is comfort food for me actually because. Really, right? Well, actually, I used to know as corned beef was known as meal two. That's right. You had the weird thing, not weird. You know, I had quite a delightful thing where hey, you numbered hey, hey. you numbered your meals. What yeah. was what was meal one at your house? I oh, meal one. That was uh, that was one of Dad's favourites, which uh-huh. was a uh, you get a solid fuel barbecue first of all. Yes. So right, T bone steak, right? Baked potato. Yeah. Green salad. Yeah. With tomatoes, a vinaigrette made with uh, garlic in it. So it's a bit like, whoa, that's a good salad, you know? It's sort of like that Pulp Fiction moment, yeah. but with, with salad, if you can yeah. if you can do that. And uh, lots of red wine. There you go. So meal, meal two. A meal two meal was? Meal two, corned beef yeah. is cooked in the, in the manner of, and that, mm. that was my mum's recipe. So mm. this is something, a cultural tradition that mm. gets carried forward. And latke potatoes or roasted potatoes, yes. depending on where you. So that's uh, you get say four four potatoes, just mm. grate them, mm. squeeze out the starchy water, mm-hmm. mix that with a grated onion that yep. you've squeezed out the stuff, and you, there's not much left once you do that. Mm. Admittedly, one egg, no flour, salt. That's about all you need. And then you, what you do is then you um, you fry that. Mm. I can go into that a bit longer, but it's already twelve ten, and we probably need to get on we with the show. On so anyway. Um, comfort food, cultural traditions, uh, the traditions of other countries' food, mm. and a market report coming up. Oh, we've got a couple of giveaways too. I might even – should we do one now? Should we go early? Yeah, we'll, you do we'll your do one, one and then so, I'll, I'll do the, the one after that. Good beer week. What do you got? Good beer week. Good beer week. Good beer week. I'm for it. It's coming up. I'm uh, for it. Do you know there's a bottle of Crown Lager left over in the fridge? I think it must have been one of the Headley's. I don't think you'll find much Crown Lager at Good Beer Week. I hope not. Mm. Dreadful stuff. Uh, supposed to, it was supposed to be the king of beers. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, nah. King is dead. Yeah. Long, um, long live the king, which is? <laughs> Good Beer Week kicks off uh, on Friday, March 23rd. When is that? That is next week. <laughs> he says, looking at his watch. Yes. Um, the Gala Showcase is at Federation Square on Thursday, March 22nd and Friday, March 23rd. Uh, 30 breweries from Australia showcasing their beers. Um, and it's the official launch of the Good Beer Week 2018 program. And it's a sneak peek for the 10-day festival itself. Um, you can buy tickets. Just go to goodbeerweek.com.au. Or you can give us a ring here at AAA. We've got a double pass to give away for the Friday sesh. Nine, three, Boom. Eight, there they go. Bang. One, oh, two, God. seven. Lightning fingers. I love seeing lightning fingers. Good Beer Week. We've been a big supporter of it for yes. the years. We'll probably do something on that next week, I, I would we say. I'd say, well, we probably get to drink some beer. 12-12. Ooh, symmetry on a palindromic day, it is. Matt said. 18th to 3rd, 18. We're going to go to John at the market after this. Right on. Mm. 
I love that. Disco <laughs> strength. Who won? That was groovy. Uh, Shannon won the Good View Week tickets. Uh, and hang on the line. We're going to grab your details in a sec. Congratulations. But, be- but before we do that, Cameron, mm. earlier today, you popped down to the market. I did. Should we have a listen? I think we should. What a difference a day makes. I'm glad you got some singing voice. I don't. Well, it's just a line. I just thought I'd do it. It seems like it makes sense. Uh, Yeah, I'll give it a go. Anyway, there's a line. But what a difference. Um, Yesterday, crazy, hot. Well, I got lucky. Uh, We left here um, 3.30, and it was moderate, a little bit of a breeze. And I went home and stayed inside, and then I'm watching the news, said it got to 33 or something. I couldn't believe it. Oh, it's still about 31 or something uh, late at night. And anyway, look at today. It's uh, and, the, and the leaves are almost being frightened off the trees by this wind. It's cold. Well, it's not cold, but I'm it's thinking... Beautiful. It's not cold. No, no, no. There's a cool breeze. got a bit of a lick to it, mm. but it's very, very nice. And I feel relaxed. I'm not stressed because of the heat. I'm not stressed because of the customers that are stressed from the heat. And it's beautiful. Well, and the veggies are pristine. I love to see when you're all relaxed like this, John. Except for the broccoli. The broccoli's not pristine. Oh, what's happened to it? Well, if you look at the broccoli, it doesn't look very green. It looks nice and open and airy. And, oh, it's horrible, mate. Yeah. But there's not much of it around, so $7 a kilo. Yeah, if you buy something that's been in the fridge for a week, which probably might be even in better condition, $5, <laughs> $6. Yeah. Or don't buy the broccoli, as yeah. we always say. Yeah, just, right. just walk past it. But this is the thing. The difference in a day, the difference of the seasons, it's the, it's the ongoing and, uh, and the upcoming autumn which we see. Yeah, definitely. See, well, what will happen is that we'll see the last of the grapes that are coming straight off the vine. Yeah. Um, maybe in the next week or two everything will be coming out of the refrigerator because what they've done is that they've picked the best grapes, packed them, put them in the fridge. Either they'll export them or drop them into the local market, hopefully drop them into the local market. We can only hope, yeah. Yeah. And for a change, chestnuts are coming. Oh, they're, I've they're... seen the first ones already, but I haven't bought any. Okay, I've seen... Here's my autumn uh, sort of uh, observations. First one uh, was custard apples. I saw yeah, it down yeah. there on the corner. Um, I've seen the first quinces, very, very pale, pale green, yellow. Yeah, but it's good when they're green because they're very high in pectin, and very easy to make jam. And the jelly. And, and jelly as well. Yeah. You don't need to set a setting agent into it. And um, I haven't seen chestnuts yet, but um, but that's it. And that, that sort of shows us where we are. We are in the middle of the seasons. Yes, and uh, it's a shame a lot of the stone fruit uh, will all be coming out of the refrigerator. I bought a box of... Um, Nectarines, the old variety, big green, um, little stone in the middle the other day, and it was, um, he'd picked them the day before, and I ate one last night, it's just ripening up beautifully, and it's a golden colour, all juice, all fragrance, and it was glorious. Fragrance, that's one of the great things about really, really good stone fruit, that any fruit or vegetables, Mm. that's the beauty of my job. Sometimes I walk into the market floor, and I'm half asleep, you know, because I'm just getting there. Mm. And, and I, I smell, something hits me, either smell of basil or even onions, yes. uh, something. And you say, oh, geez, that smells good. Leeks. Yeah, leeks. All vibrant, you know. Yeah. And then you, you wake up and you say, oh, look, I better start picking the eyes out of the market because that's what we do down there. We walk around, we see what's available, we buy the best stuff and bring it back and hopefully we can provide you with the best stuff. All right, well, here's picking the eyes out of the market. And we sort of, let's first of all, let's look with the, the season that's receding in the rear vision mirror of, uh, of the year. What sort of things should we be looking at getting now because they're starting to run out? You mentioned stone fruit. Stone fruit, yeah. grapes. Grapes. We're lucky we've still got local tomatoes, hopefully, till June, if the weather holds out properly, June, July. Yep. Um, yeah, pretty much that's the only concern because... You know, lettuces and things like that, they plant different varieties, beetroot, cabbage and as well. Yeah, they're sort of perennial, aren't they? They're available uh, all year and round. And a lot of the other stuff, well, when our Victorian stuff finishes, we'll get new season stuff from a warmer climate like up in Queensland. But so they're getting a bit of a battering up there at the moment, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, and Darwin, my God. Do we get any um, stuff from Darwin? Yeah, we Bananas. do. Uh, we get uh, yeah, some bananas, mangoes, yeah. pumpkins... Um, depends if they put capsicums in. Um, I've got grapes from 
the left-hand side of Arnhem Land, if you can picture the map of Australia, how far away that is. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, like I say, we're very lucky that we can get stuff from all over Australia um, and the world if we have to, but we'd rather not because we like to sell Victorian produce first and then Australian and then, well, we'll think about the rest. Mm. Now, um, what, what do you see as sort of the pick of the market for this week? Pick of the market this week, my beans weren't cheap, they were $12 because there's a lot of stuff around the market for $6. Mine ran away because they were just so pretty, um, nice and straight, nice and green. Mm. So people bought half a kilo, a handful or a kilo and went home and cooked them straight away and enjoyed them while they were nice and vibrant. And capsicums are beautiful as well. You know, um, I gave some capsicums to an old Polish lady last, two weeks ago. Mm. And she stuffed them with meat and rice and brought them back to me Beep. in a nice soupy tomato thing. Oh, and it was glorious. My so God. people have been buying them. Uh, th- these are out of Mildura. A little bit thinner flesh than a Queensland capsicum, but less mm. acid as well. Tell you what I had the other day was a bullhorn um, capsicum. Oh, yeah, aren't they glorious? The intensity of flavour that those things have is and just amazing. And the sugar as well. Yeah, so these were sort of sweated off in the oven, uh, in the oven, and then served with a little bit of little slices, discs of pickled garlic. Oh, that sounds good. Oh, it, it was just astounding as to the intensity of flavour that you can actually get in really, really good seasonal veggies. Yes. Well, I bought sold the box. Um, to some boys last week, mm. and they said they were going to cut them in the long slivers, yep. dry them in the oven, semi-dry, yep. and then pack them in the jars in oil. And he said in three or four months they'll swell up again, and then they open a jar with a crusty bread, and there you go. And isn't that great? Because let's face it, folks, the cold months are coming, the lack of sunshine's coming, and that's one of those things because that is opening up a jar of sunshine, isn't it? Definitely. That's why uh, we still do a lot of preserves. Mm. Not so much as before. Yeah. Uh, like, we don't do jardiniera anymore. But some, we just do a quick one. Um, What's tradi- jardiniera for those who haven't had it? Traditionally, what they did is when they had cauliflowers and carrots and that in abundance in uh, summer, autumn, mm. uh, they'd pick them, slice them, boil them lightly in water and vinegar, yep. pack them into the jars and um, add a little bit of oil, seal it, put it in a cellar. So when in the middle of winter you don't have what you want, you go and open a jar and, and there it is. And especially when you come home late, you know, you haven't got time to cook or you haven't got the energy, you crack the jar, a little bit of sausage, dried a sausage, bit of bread. a little bit of bread, a little bit of cheese that you made yourself, mm. glorious. Maybe those olives over there, we can bring them out and do it. I remember my mum used to always get the... Do you remember the Hoyts? Yeah, yeah. And that still was good. That was really butch, though, the amount of vinegar that they... Yeah, up. yeah, Woo! but there was a reason <laughs> for it. They had to be preserved. <laughs> preserved. And that's what we call peasant food, but can you imagine how good that food is? All the uh, textures and vitamins are preserved in, in the veggies, mm. and it's just like they were picked anyway. Yeah. So, um, oh, another thing I might um, think about getting, people, plums, uh, the stone fruit. Oh. This is a really, really good time to just... Type into Google, go to your favourite cookbook, compote. And it's really just getting stuff into a sugar syrup and then you can keep it for the winter. And uh, it's a great thing on porridge. Oh. It's a great thing just by itself. It's ice cream. Porridge. Yeah, ice cream. Anyway, that's one thing I would recommend people do. Uh, but for the here and now... Because there's so many varieties. There's the old blood plums, the satsumas. Yes. There's uh, autumn. summer plums, autumn plums. Didn't like those. There's yellow plums. Yes. Oh, look, there's so many. Get out. Angelina yeah. plums are Angelina. still out there. Yep. And, um, yeah, they're, they're beautifully fresh, but also if you, you can do a compote, it's good as well. And they take spice as well. A little bit of clove, a little bit of nutmeg. You even yeah, go to the star. It's amazing how it lifts that flavour that little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. Well, that, I think that we might sort of be towards the end. Now, um, coming up on the show, uh, we've got a segment regarding comfort food. Linda Catalano is going to come on and she's going to talk to us about um, her cultural traditions in doing comfort food. And I'm wondering, this is putting on the spot, but what's the foods you go to comfort food? And how do you define it? What do well, you... I'll define it for you because I just had a quick thing flash into my head. Yeah. If I'm feeling down or run down or tired, mm. nothing like a plate of rice and lentils. Rice and it lentils. sounds strange, rice but... What coloured lentils? 
brown lentils. Um, and Franca said that sometimes she buys Canadian lentils. I don't know why, but apparently they're better. Yeah, don't argue. Um, don't argue man. And you get that warmth into you and you feel better. And the lentils are very good because um, uh, vegetarians can eat them in place of meat. You get all that extra benefit from it. And they scrape out your intestines. Yeah, they do that too. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why the oldies ate them. Yeah. And if I'm feeling happy and hungry, as I am mostly... <laughs> happy, hungry, John. There's an image for everyone, yes. Um, I take some beautiful asparagus home, normally the fat ones. Yes. We fry them lightly and then whisk the eggs with... I she puts carrot in as well. Plenty of parsley, plenty of garlic, salt and pepper. Make that omelette. Mate, I love it. And, and also, I if I get lucky, a, a cauliflower done in batter. That's my comfort food. That's the ultimate, yeah, isn't that's it? That's the ultimate. Yeah, all right. So there you go. And, you know, some people, it's a soup, maybe a tomato soup or a gazpacho to lift them up. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, everyone's different. So that's how I define it. Either uh, when I'm feeling flat to lift me or when I'm hungry, hungry. Well, I'll tell you what, coming up is Linda Catalana and we'll find out what her comfort foods are, how she defines it. But in the meantime... I'm going to get out of here before it starts raining, I think. And yeah, before thank you have you. to swim back to the studio. Thanks, have mate. a lovely day. Bye. Luckily, I have my Amphicar 1225 here on 3IIFM. Did you make it? I'm curious as to whether you made it back without getting wet. I guess I did. Yeah. It's very splotchy rain, wasn't it? It was splotchy. 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 Mm. Uh, but something that uh, shall not be splotchy because it's all about uh, the food of memory mm. and uh, our cultural traditions. We've got Linda Catalano coming in talking about one suitcase, four stories. But before that, we thought we'd go way back and find a song by Cab Calloway. You're listening to Eat It. Twelve twenty nine here. Thank you for that, Big Z. And of course, yeah, there's lots of stuff happening. Food and Wine Festival in the West. Yes, and uh, it's happening all over the place. And um, we have here an intrepid traveller who has uh, finally got back to town in this time of the uh, time of the year and is about to do a, a stage show, looking at. Well, um, family roots, traditions. Linda Catalano, a very, very good afternoon. Thanks for coming in. Thank you so much for having me. It's nice to be home. You're home from? Home from a, a mega tour in my my other life as a producer. So I've been to New York and Vancouver and Perth and Brisbane and Adelaide, and now I'm finally back home in Melbourne. And this is one of those things we were just talking off air about the fact that uh, you're away at all these different places, but... It ain't no holiday. It absolutely isn't a holiday. So it's actually really nice to come home and yes. particularly to come home at this time of year and to have some space to do some cooking and <laughs> talk to some family and see some friends. Yes. All the important things. Well, especially for an Italian. Let's First of all, let's get your, your bona fides. So um, it's a daughter of Italian immigrants. Yes, indeed. From... So my mum is from Calabria, the oh, town part called of the Calabresi. Calabresi, yes. The Melbourneese Calabresi. So a little town called Soveria Manelli, that's where my mum was born. What and does my, that mean? Uh, it's just the name of the town. Say it again. Soveria Manelli. Oh, I'm not even going to try that because uh, I'll just destroy that, that it's, beautiful it's pronunciation. It's a super, super tiny uh, town near the mountains. Near, in the mountains. Near, near La Sila. And then my dad is from a little town called Beltiglio, which is in Campania, not far from Naples. Wow. So... Good southern Italian stock, and they both came to Australia as children. Yes, and uh, how old were you? Uh, you were not born when they came over, so you were actually no. So my mum was three, and my dad was about nine, Whoa. eight or nine. So okay. they were children when they when they came here. Yes, and settled in and around in the north in what I call the Posada Triangle. Yes, well, my the Catalanos absolutely this is their territory. Yes, but my my the Bonacci's settled south side. The Bonacci's. So um, came to came to well initially. South. Well, they initially came to Fitzroy, but then my, my grandfather got work in Paran. Oh. And uh, so actually went from Fitzroy to Richmond to Paran and then settled in Glen Iris. Yeah, so, right. um, so I have that, that beautiful um, uh, heritage that encompasses both sides of the river Bloody in hell. Melbourne. That's, that's kind so, of, yeah. that's not normal. No, it's not normal. There's no. not, not so many Italiani that went south side. No, no. But the Bonacci's, so my mum's side of the family, that was where they went. And my, my grandfather wanted to 
always live near a tram. I talk a little bit about him in the show, actually, because he didn't drive. And so at the end of the number six tram line yes. was where my grandparents eventually uh, set up home, although my mum did spend a lot of time in Paran growing up. So Paran Market and, and that part of town was really uh, important to my nonna. And she only passed away two years ago. So oh, she, she lived on that side of the river. And then all the Catalanos, north side, Northgate, Thornbury, that's <laughs> where we are. Yeah. Yeah, so brilliant to have uh, all of that. And so we're looking at a show that you're going to be doing, which is called uh, One Suitcase, Four Stories, which which draws in at the threads of the migrant experience, the incredible immigrant experience, but also the cultural traditions of the table that then hopefully get passed down. And then, and then that very notion of what comfort food is. Um, comfort food is... At the centre of the show, actually. It's, so it's the sun. It's the, it's the sun. It's the warmth of the sun. And the show is inspired by my nonna's kitchen, which... What's uh, your nonna's name again? My nonna was called Tomasina. Tomasina. So this is the one. This is what the linchpin for all this. Absolutely. The total inspiration for this show. Because as a, a child growing up in an immigrant household, you're not told fairy stories. Instead, you are told the stories of how various family members came to Australia. And these stories are always told in the kitchen. Yes. And uh, in my nonna's kitchen, there was always a, a culinary project in progress. So the audience walks into a working kitchen and I explain to them that uh, they're going to be treated like family for the duration of the show. God, does that mean they're going to be abused and told <laughs> that they're not doing the, they're not folding the ravioli right? Or, Correct. Yeah. <laughs> you <laughs> because, got it in one. Because that is, it, it is this, this warm-hearted abuse <laughs> And that is how you know it's love. Yeah. You know, manners, and Nonna would say this to me, actually, manners are for people you don't know so well. Yes. Right? So you come into the kitchen and you are working yes. with me on making the meal. And in the course of cooking together, the stories are told the way they were told to me yes. about uh, various family members. Because anyone who's been in a working family kitchen knows that that's where all the secrets are told. They're always told whilst that's you're right. cooking. Whilst and just, you're preparing. Yeah, someone drops the fajoli. They go, oh, my God, you're kidding. And that reminds me of That's, the time when. Yeah, oh, <laughs> let me tell you something. You, you know. know, so there's all of that. And I use... Um, We're going to have... Oh, sorry. I, yep. say, I use the ingredients and kitchen utensils mm. as object puppets. Extrapolate a bit more. So you can uh, imagine like a zucchini becoming an uncle in a story oh, or a mozzarella becoming a mother. Uh, so these sorts of objects uh, take on life as I, as I talk to you. Look, it's a really fun, silly uh, show that is a, a celebration of, of, of various comfort foods because each of the stories, because there are four stories that I tell, uh, is represented in a part of the meal. And so I talk about how, you know, like one auntie's life was was particularly sweet. So she is the cannoli queen. Uh, and oh. so each, the, the, what you, the experiences you have in life, therefore impact the food that is uh, your food. So I talk about how the culinary gods smile upon uh people when they become nonni. When you become a nonni, you get a culinary gift. This is my observation. And and the, the whatever culinary gift you have is infused by your life experience, and that life experience comes out in the dish. What was Thomasina's life gift? Lasagna. Lasagna. That was her dish, and it is absolutely... Can you describe it for us? It actually melts in your mouth. When is it, it's not, but it's not a skippy lasagna, is it? No, there's no bechamel no. in it. No. At all, no. and so I give I, I, I give it's away. Just for you, Matt. I'm just going. No, I'm, I'm not going to tell everybody what the secret is. But I actually no, talk. I, I, I do talk about, and and the lasagna is being made throughout this show, and it's mm -hmm. a dish that I return to, and so and it takes so long to make, and when I make it at home, I go for like from scratch, make the pasta, do the whole business. You make the pasta. Make the so pasta. So you're not using the instant uh, lasagna pasta, are you? No, I, and I actually I get, don't want to insult you, Linda. I just no, thought I'd put it out there. No, so. not, not if I'm doing that, but it's a food that I take comfort in preparing. Yeah, rather than a comfort out. food. That, yeah, exactly. But it's not the thing that I would go to. Like when I'm on tour and I need to like have something comforting quickly, I'll, I'll make a frittata. <laughs> I won't make the lasagna. Yes, But yes. I take... Uh, the time to make the lasagna, and so when it is 
served. It's a different, like, I get comfort from preparing it. I will never be able to um, get it to the same level as what my nonna ha- had with hers. You can strive, though. But you I am each, each time you try to get a little bit closer, it's like just trying to get closer to that sun. And that sauce she would make mm-hmm. would just be on that stovetop for hours. Yes. And the slow-cooked meat, the way she would do that, mm. <laughs> and then to have that put into the lasagna, like it all just takes time. Yeah. And it's a very inexact uh, art. science. No, art. Oh, well, it's an art, yes. Yeah, yeah, it is. You know, it's a, it's a funny thing you mentioned lasagna because we have um, – in this town, uh, according to the San Pellegrino Awards, the greatest chef in this country, wow. who is a New Zealander, Ben Shuri. And I remember he, do you remember this, Matt? He kind of blew us away mm. in the fact that um, I was interviewing him, and you know, this great chef who does all these things. And I said, so what's, around, what's your Christmas meal like? And he said, you know what I really love for Christmas lunch? I went, I have no idea, Ben. He said, lasagna. <laughs> what? So, but what I'm saying is that his children will, that is gone deep into their psyche, the fact that Christmas is associated with lasagna. And I think for them, and they're New Zealanders in Australia, they're Aussies for all, all accounts, but that will be their comfort food going, a- going into the future. And I would actually say to you, my definition of the way that I see what comfort food is, comfort food is the food that was cooked for you when you weren't didn't have the ability to cook for yourself. It's food that was fed to you that you remember and it evokes a childhood, safety, security and all those sort of things. Would you agree with that? I agree totally with that. Because um, every special occasion was marked by lasagna, mm. uh, it absolutely has that association yes. for me. And so every Christmas, every Easter, uh, every major gathering, my, my nonna would start making the lasagna. And we all knew that it was <laughs> it, something good was happening. The yes. lasagna was being made. Did she have a special apron? Uh, she had a few. Oh, okay. Sorry. Just, I'm, I'm just, well, I'm trying to do this visualization. What does she look like? Give us an idea of what the kitchen looked like and what she looked like inhabiting her, her space. Kitchen? Well, her space. My nonna was very tiny. Yes. So I'm not, I'm not particularly tall, but she was smaller than me. So under five foot, you can imagine a small person. But in the oh kitchen, yeah. she seemed larger than life Don't because mess. it was, it was her area. Don't mess. Wooden. Wooden cupboards yes. all around that kitchen and a walk-in pantry. Now, the Whoa. walk-in pantry as a kid was just the best thing and it had these three, this little step that was in there, three steps. Oh, because she would have a needed a little step She needed she? little steps. Yes. And in the walk-in pantry, she had all the um, oil on one side and all of the sort of pantry goodness. And there was another little walk-in area that she had with all her pots and pans. Where were all the jars of stuff? The jars of stuff are in the cellar. Underneath the house. Is that where the holy water was too? That's where the holy water was. <laughs> yes. That's where the wine was made. Yes. Do, do, can we define holy water just for those that don't know? Vino. And I was thinking more the uh, distillato, the the grappa. All down there. Yeah, so, which, which no one, no Italian has ever admitted to me that they actually make. No, never made it. No, no, don't I, got it I got it from a friend. I got it from a friend. And my nonno had all of his wine making. Uh, things down there under the house. That's granddad for us skippies. Yes. 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 And so, uh, yeah, my nonna was in charge of all of that stuff and nonna had the kitchen. But uh, between those three, and of course there was another little space that she cooked in, mm-hmm. uh, there was a stove in the laundry. That was for the seafood, right? Uh, and that's, of course, when you're making... Was that for the seafood? Well, uh, no. not really, but okay. when you're making like... um. Uh, when you're doing your passata for the year, yes, and you need the because you've got everybody outside mm. doing outside business, yes, then you have this, and everybody had the job, yes, and and there was also in that laundry above was the um, oh gosh, what do you call it? Like a little rail for hanging salami. Oh yes, okay. So it, obviously there was a, a good air was going through there because exactly. that's what you need. Exactly, and and I figured out later through my work with the salami fester that all of these things that my grandmother had told me actually did have some kind of scientific basis. Yeah. <laughs> but, but actually, where she, the way she'd set up everything was perfect in order to be able to do what she needed to, oh, of course it was. to do. And of there was, course of course, the, the extra freezer under the house. Um, 
so everything was perfectly set up and my my grandparents had this amazing garden so a lot of um you know what we ate came straight like from the garden into that kitchen so it's pretty amazing the setup actually um, and and that is really re- um it reflects so much of the melbourneese and the melbourneese experience self sufficiency um about family and about cultural memories and just bringing people into the hearth and then as we said before, abusing the hell out of them. <laughs> because, you know, um, listeners to 3AAA, you guys out there, you know how you hear about Cam's um, mushroom tours, which he's been doing for ages. There's a guy, Skippy, right? Yeah. Cam Russell, lovely bloke. Um, somehow, I think it was John's... Uh, he went to John's family to do... I think it was the salami, and he said, I went into this kitchen of women, and I have never been abused like this ever in my life. He was, he was actually scarred by it, to be honest with you. They must have really liked him. I know. He didn't realise that at the time. They thought, oh, this one's got potential. Yeah, don't, no. don't do it like that. Do it like this. Who taught you that? And what are you doing? Yeah. Why are you doing that for? Um, all right. So the name You didn't of, listen. You didn't listen. Do you, it again. Do it again or I'm going to get the wooden spoon out. No. Um, tell us again. What's the name of this uh, show? The name of the show is called One Suitcase, Four Stories. And yes. it's going to be playing at the Art Centre Melbourne in the Members' Lounge. In the members' lounge. I was looking at that and I'm going, either that, what's that like? Is that the members' lounge sounds very, very special? Look, it's a space that a lot of people actually don't see because you don't go oh. in there normally unless you're a member. Oh, you're a member. But <laughs> what's perfect about it is it's got a little kitchen for me so that I've got all of the facilities I need to be able to deliver the show. And it's not a big space. It's uh, There's uh, only a maximum of, of between 30 and 40 people in each show. So it's quite an intimate I- experience for the people that want to come along and it's really good fun. And the great thing is that you actually get to... You you, the uh, the person coming in to enjoy this in the space with Linda, is the fact that you will be get a little bit of the lasagna, yeah. Yeah, you get a three course meal, and you have um, if you've got red wine f- served from um, a coffee glass, like of course, of course there is. <laughs> I love that you know what I'm going to do before I do it. Yeah, no yeah. fancy wine glasses. No, 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 no. Wine is served in tumblers in this show. Tumblers. <laughs> I was uh, speaking to someone who she said to me that is my favourite way of drinking wine is out of those glasses. Yeah, really, it's um, it's a, it's a proper family experience. Uh, quanto donero? Which is uh, me terribly saying, how much does that cost? Oh, I have to have a look online I now. I think it's 80 But I think it's $80. 80 and that, bucks includes the meal. Includes the meal and, and a glass of vino. And you can book at artscentralmelbourne.com.au. If you've got that, Matt, you can yes, put that up. Yes, we can. We'll whack it on the website. Um, Art Centre. Um, and if you put in Art Centre, one suitcase, four stories, it shall come up. Linda, thank you for um, talking to us about comfort food, um, painting a picture about your nonna ruling the kitchen and the fact of how these cultural traditions um, get passed on. Oh, one last question before you do go. Sure. Very, 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 very important question. The cannoli. <laughs> Where are you getting the cannoli from? Is when it from the west or is it going to no, be from we, the north? We make them. <gasps> That's me throwing down my pen. Get out of here, really? The the, the cannoli, um, uh, they're made for every show. Um, Where's your deep fryer for that? Oh, that, so there's a little bit... Okay, the, the, don't worry. Anyway, don't, just, there's a, there's it, a, it'll be there, okay. They'll, they'll be there. So like, like all good uh, nonni kitchens, there's some things that are prepared beforehand, but yeah, it all, it all happens uh, as part of the show. So you, you'll make the shells and then fill them up. Oh, my God. Exactly. See, I was wondering if they came from Brunetti's or from uh, would, Footscray because would, they're the two... With someone who has family on both sides of the river, I would why, never engage in that, that kind of... <laughs> yeah, what do you think I want to do? Start the World War Three? But none of that. Everybody's cannoli are beautiful, by the way. 12.46 here on 3 Triple R. Linda, thank you again for Thanks joining for us. A pleasure to see you, and we hope that you um, you bring back that salami festival at some stage Ooh. in the not-too-distant future. I didn't bring that up, but we... Uh, Let's talk about that another time. We're going to do that another <laughs> time. Uh, 12.46 here on 3 Triple R FM. Um, I've got a giveaway now, if that's all right with you, you Matt. You do, for an event coming up in, I think it's three weeks' time. It is indeed April 8th, and it's uh, at Werribee Park, and it's called Fromage Trois. I see what they did there. Uh, um, it's a cheese festival. Yes. And uh, there'll be all sorts of um, amazing cheeses there. You'll be and there. I'm, yes, you're, I'm going to be there. there. Um, and uh, what can you do? Oh, look, it's just going to be great. Werribee Park is awesome. It's a beautiful, beautiful space. There'll be uh, 
heaps of cheesemongers there, so mm-hmm. there'll be, you know, uh, toasted cheese sandwiches, cheese tastings, there'll yep. be demos, there'll be, oh, look, it's just a veritable what festival. What was that name cheese. again? Fromage à toi. <coughs> Fromage à toi. Sorry, I'll stop with the, with the sort of Frank Thring sort of leaning yes. on it. Hey, if, uh, you're, if you're a Triple R subscriber, we've got a couple of double passes to give away. Two double passes, uh, which is about 70, 80, well, close to 80 bucks value. Um, you'll need to give us your address so that uh, Matt can take it down. There's callers there. Give us a call. We're going to music? We're going to no, go we're straight, gonna go to, straight to uh sponsorship announcements and we'll be back after this. Oh, I need to get Janet, don't I? Yeah. Okay. It's just every time that saxophone gets you. I didn't say anything. I know. Did you notice that I I didn't say anything? Because I thought this time I will say nothing. (laughs) But that was up to you, Mr. Stedman. We have a winner for um, the fromage trois. We've got a couple. I've just got to grab the details. So hang on the line there if you're hanging on the line. Have you got the the winner? Yeah, I just haven't got the details yet. Oh, you can can you say the names? Uh, no, because I don't know what they are yet. Right, okay. uh-huh. It's a mystery, isn't it? Secret. So it anyway, is. if you have been ringing, if you're hanging on the line, vacate the line because <laughs> uh, it's not going to happen. But we might do do some more <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. in the next week or so. Mm. Uh, but it is my great pleasure to look across. Janet Denise in here. How are you doing? You gave your publicist a big fright because she lost you, but now Story you have found <laughs> the, prodigal, <laughs> the prodigal artist yes. from Bali. Why did you go to Bali? <laughs> That's probably a good way to start. Oh, it was a couple a of footy question. seasons ago. I never thought of that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's, Why? One of the, it's my dad's fault. Oh, good. Yeah, he what took he, us there so in the 70s. Take you to Sanua Beach to stay at the Hyatt or something? Well, it wasn't built then. It wasn't built then? It was 75. Okay. They were building it. It burned down. Did it build out? I think it did. Yeah, it did. Oh, it's, no. But uh, anyway. it, it was so, so. Your dad took you to yeah. Bali for the very first time. Yes, yes. What'd my mum, my mum thought it was Hawaii, going to be Hawaii, so she <laughs> tried because there was no pink hotel. Um, no, and there's no banyan tree. Yeah. What's going on? Yes. Yeah. I mean, we loved it. We just thought, oh my god, it's awesome. So yeah, um, yeah it was this sort of tropical kind of uh, I don't know wilderness. So fantastic. Totally exotic. Yes. Totally so, so diametrically opposed to, to the, you know, going down the Mont Albert tram. From well, I think where you said you grew up, there's no Mont Albert trams no in Temple Sar, is there? No, no, not at all. And yeah. you fell in love. Yes. Yeah. And you have been living there for yeah, but I, thirty uh, years. Yeah, I went back uh, to Melbourne and finished school and Good. went through college, and then I returned to Bali in 1984, and that's when I kind of just stayed. Yeah, this is this is yeah. this place is running through this me. It's place got is me. Cool. It's got yeah, me. Yeah, it's got and, me. And what, can you define what it is? What was it about the place that made you say, I'm not coming home? <laughs> I'm staying here. Well, I met my husband the second day. That always helps. Second day? I know. Wow, across a crowded bar? What, what happened? <laughs> oh, it was a bar, I suppose, but it was a restaurant. It was a hotel, so yeah. it was kind of, well. Like, he's nice. She's here. Oh, it was yeah. interesting, you know. So, um, yeah, I just thought, okay. Um, and I already, already loved Bali. And my whole mm. thing was to learn about the food. So I thought, there you go. It's a bit of a package. And um, I came back the next year and pretty well, yeah, just kind of stayed on and off. Um, yeah. Started a restaurant, kids, marriage, whatever. Other Boom. Way around. And, 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 there, <laughs> and there it went. And you've become ensconced and, and been a vital part of um, – the cultural milieu yeah. of uh, of the place, we would write this festival. But yes. let's. But here we're talking about food, yes. and and this show that you're doing, mm-hmm. or this this uh, evening that you're doing, yeah. is around food. And and when I first met you, I was saying to you, look, Bali, our closest neighbour, huge population, about to become an economic tiger, and we really know nothing about Indonesia. And we start with understanding of cultures i've seen it with the italians that have come through the vietnamese experience that we come through and the first way that we really understand a nation or a people is by sitting down and eating and i would say to you that most australians would know maybe one or two three at the most gado gado nasi goreng nasi limak what's bali food all about (laughs) um yeah it's really interesting food and of course um 
when I started researching the cooking, I thought it was going to be fairly simple and then realized that um, to understand <laughs> the culture, you know, you have to actually start to unravel the food. Mm. Barney's food is kind of, um, I guess you'd say piquant. It's sort of like... It's spicy. And they're not afraid of chili. And they're not afraid Raw of chili. Raw chili, we're talking too. Yeah, and just a lot of chili, but a lot of spices. Yes. And uh, so it's sharp, it's strong. Um, yeah, it's spicy, but it's also really clear flavors, and it's many layers of flavors. So when you start to oh, yes. eat something, you yes. can sort of start to dissect. So it's not a marriage of flavors in a way. It's, it's many layers. Mm, sitting well together. Yes. It is has its roots nutritionally in rice. Is rice uh, the centre of the yes, plate? Could yes, we of say? So yes. if we think about the centre of the plate, yeah. it's an eastern centre of the plate. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's it's that. It's a lot of rice too. You know, yes. it's the opposite to a Western way of eating because the rice is the meal and the side dishes are the yeah, condiments are the and the condiments, flavourings. Yeah, so they're the, secondary. That's yes. why they call it like nasi champur because the nasi is the, the main dish, the steamed rice. The champur is the mixture of little bits and pieces that go with that. Yes. Yeah. And how did you go about um, learning and imbuing yourself in the food culture there? Yeah, it was probably a pain in the neck because I was always hanging You're around the best. people. Yeah, what are you doing? I know, yeah, I what know. are you doing? Yeah, I know. And I th- yeah, I was. And uh, I think my sister-in-law just sort of thought, what the hell are you doing trying to work out all our food and why are you writing it down? Nobody ever writes anything down here. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and she kept turning her back and throwing in things when I wasn't watching. I was <laughs> like, yeah, I know, shocker. So uh, <laughs> it took me years to work it out, actually. And you I'm finally like, worked out. That was cardamom you threw yeah, in there, I you dirtbag. I, yeah, I saw you this time. I know. No, and the thing is, too, back then, I mean, we're talking about, um, I don't know, 1985 onwards, uh, who knew what Gallon Girl was? Yeah. Let alone lime leaves. Yes. Or um, Now we find it now. I've got, I've got lime leaves in the garden now. Yeah, well, we didn't know that turmeric was a rhizome. We thought it was some sort of weird yellow powder. Just was so, this powder, yes. Yeah, so that was a whole journey, Just not just about learning about the cuisine, but actually just learning what the ingredients were. So... In a nutshell, and it's hard to sort of do this in just a few minutes, but so maybe Balinese cuisine. So Balinese cuisine is a, 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 um, a Hindu-influenced cuisine within the larger nation of Indonesia, but it seems to me that um, like Indian cuisine, it is a symphony of layers and layers that build up to a glorious whole. Would that yes. be... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think... Uh has Hinduism affected the cuisine? I, I don't know if it has on that level, well, you, except that you're they doing eat pork. Yeah, for except us. that they eat pork, of course. Yeah. Okay, sorry. But but Obvious. the but you know the flavors are still similar to other dishes around Indonesia, except that in Bali, I was saying this the other day. Like I've noticed, I've travelled a lot around Indonesia more recently and observing the different cooking techniques. And you know, like if you go to Central Java, um, you know, you only put those spices into that dish and those ones into that dish. In Bali, they kind of every time just put it all into one dish. They kind of can't help it. Um, but it's a really it's just the exuberance yeah, of the people. Yeah, and I think too. I think it comes back to that uh, food as medicine concept. You know, yes. because they you you are what you eat, but also. Um, it's very much about um, your food being your, your medicine as such because in Bali, if they're not eating it, they're drinking it or they're rubbing it onto their skin. So I think that's why you find kind of turmeric in everything because, um, you know, it is known for its incredible healing medicinal powers. Well, it's probably better than having it in a coffee like we do over here. <laughs> Just, well, just saying. Your barley, they um, they drink it, but they drink it as a tonic. But they're not a. It's not a milk based culture, so they don't have. No. It's they just <laughs> mix it with uh, lime juice and uh, maybe tamarind and mm. honey. All right, so we we need to hear about um, this event that you were doing in conjunction with Melbourne Food and Wine Festival, yes. the twenty third and the twenty fourth. Yes, of March, yes. Mm-mm. What are you doing? Well, um, yeah, Tolana, I'm so excited because I love that place. Um, so cool. And, and uh, you remember it from the early days. Yes. yes. I used to love Mergamore. I just thought she was insanely crazy and hilarious. So uh, I decided to choose the iconic barley dish, which is suckling pig, because um, I thought I think Melbourne kind of 
you know, one group of Melbourne does meet. And uh, I thought, let's start with their most renowned dish and pay homage to that. The other one is uh, Betutu Ayam, and it's the slow braised chicken. Ayam means salt? Chicken. Ayam. Oh, chicken so, ayam. Yep, ayam. Yep, yep, yep. Yes. Yeah, garam is salt. That's okay, yeah. garam. So, um, yeah, it's also sort of the iconic uh, warung dish. You know, if you go to get nasi champur around Ubud in the warungs, usually you're going to get the, the better two ayam. Uh, ignorant question from an yep. ignorant person. Warung yeah. is... Warung is sort of like a... A local style cafe, for want of a better word. It's okay. just an eating house. Eating house. Yeah, very casual. Eat and run. All right. So, um, Talano, coming up uh, 23rd, 24th. Uh, there's still uh, tickets available? Uh, yeah, there's about three. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe well, five. Well, um, you can sit with me, though. It's okay. And so, if we were going to define Indonesian cooking in a single sentence, what would that be? Indonesia, oh my God, that's a hard one because it's such an, 17,000 islands. Um, it's the most, for me, the most exciting cuisine in the world. <laughs> there you go. Right back at you. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it's, yeah. it's lovely to meet you. Thank you for coming in and spending yes, your time. Thank you uh, if you want to be uh, one of those uh, three <laughs> lucky people that uh, can get in, uh, look at Melbourne Food and Wine Festival. And uh, what's the key words we need to put in? Janet, actually, I think. Works if you put Janet. Denif. Uh, oh, probably. Yeah, Janet. no, that works. Denif. D-E-N-E-F-F-E. E-E-F-E. Yes, uh, do yeah. that. Yeah. We're just about at the end. Uh, we've got uh, Sunday lunch coming on. We're going to be talking about climate change. So um, it's inevitable, not only that uh, the hour will pass, but uh, climate change is upon us, and we're going to elucidate mm. on that for your afternoon pleasure. Janet, thank you again. Thank you. Terima kasih. Thank you very much. Matt Stedman. Cameron Smith. Rock. Yes. Uh, We should say congrats to Sophie. Oh, who won? Sophie and Andrew uh, both picked up a double pass to... I was about to say it with an M. No, fromage toi is yeah. the uh, event name. There I'm should be no menaging. It's no. just fromaging. Thank you very much. <laughs> there are laws against that. Uh, one o'clock on 3 FM, And it's windy. See you later. This has been a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.